All right, everybody. So today, back on the podcast, we have Jeffrey Verity Schofield. What's up, man? Not too much. How's it going? Well, eventually, we've talked about doing the. We're going to have you, me, Abel, Brian Borstein, Aaron Shaker, Steve Hall. Probably missing a couple people in there. So you'll have to get a flight for that. Yeah, yeah. I'd be down. That, that would be a, a hell of a roundtable. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, uh, so we've been talking. I mean, obviously, like we just talk on Instagram here and there. I actually had a nightmare last night that we were trying to do this podcast and my Instagram got hacked because everybody's Instagram seems to get hacked. Mike Gizertel, Abel's been kicked off like eight times now. Brian Borstein was hacked. And I couldn't get on. And not only could I not get on, but somebody was like posting my like random like private photos just like on Instagram. And it was a whole mess. I woke up like, oh, crap. <laughs> I have very relevant dreams to things going on in my life. Yeah, no, it's uh it's 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 scary, man. Like I've thought about even making a backup in advance, but like who's gonna subscribe or follow a backup, right? Yeah. Like not not many people, but considering how common it is and how uh how shitty Instagram is at customer service yeah. by like all accounts. Yeah. It's something that, you know, I should probably consider because um, it, it can affect your life and your business and everything Yeah, uh, in, in a big, big way. And they, it, they probably shouldn't have that much power. Like it's actually kind of ridiculous. It doesn't seem too bad on YouTube. Like every once in a while, like there was the whole natural hypertrophy thing. Uh, but other than that, there really aren't too many examples I can think of where somebody was just totally screwed over on YouTube. I mean, maybe the algorithm changes and things like that, but not like losing your account. But on Instagram, yeah. it's, I mean, I, when I first started, I got hacked by some Russian account. Uh, and then, I mean, I feel like it's almost half the people I know <laughs> have had some issue there. You know, it's really unfortunate. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's not good. And I mean, Vegan Gains is still posting on YouTube. So right, like exactly that, that shows you yeah, like you can get away with some pretty rancid stuff and yeah. still, you know, keep your account. Um, you know, they'll warn you and they'll ban you, but like you get it back eventually. And even with natural hypertrophy, I think that was a very weird situation. But it still worked out, right? Mm -hmm. Um, thankfully. But yeah, with Instagram, it's like <laughs> just like you don't even know. It's like I think with, with yeah. Mike Israel, like he doesn't even Maybe with with Abel, like they don't even tell you what you did or if right. you did anything at all. It's just like you're just guidelines or something. For... Yeah, I know it's ridiculous. I'm actually I'm looking up vegan gains now. Is he? I guess he's still posting stuff. I don't hear people really talking about him anymore. But yeah, it looks like he's still still around, still doing stuff. But yeah, it's it is interesting. Um, so we were talking. Uh, speaking of these kind of crazy influencers, quote unquote, we we're talking about Liver King, and I mentioned I don't know if. I'm just hearing about him more because like I clicked a video and then now the algorithm is just giving me liver king stuff or if he's continuing to blow up. Uh, but I guess it's been what, like a year or so that he's been out there. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually, I didn't see your video on it, but I know you were talking about how like maybe things have changed since you made your video on him. I don't know if you want to like elaborate on that at all. Yeah. So I, I initially wanted it to be like, not just a video slamming him, or like a natty or not on him because let's face it he doesn't really need a right he doesn't really need one of those like it's it's pretty clear which side of the fence uh, he's on but so i wanted to do a, a video just assessing his primal tenants it's like uh cold and shield and all this other mm -hmm. uh, caveman bullshit and it wasn't too bad right like a few of them 
you know, you ground, you put your feet on the bare earth and this, this grounds you to the earth or some bullshit. That, that, that didn't really have any kind of evidence for it. But, you know, overall, I think if most people added these into their lives, they would probably be better for it. So overall, it was positive. But since then, he's just been like a big bag of shit. I mean, <laughs> to the point where I've even thought about deleting that video just because it's like mildly positive. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, my views on him have changed quite a bit. Um, I used to think, oh, he's a little bit rough around the edges, but like, not, not too bad. Nah, nah, definitely in the big bag of shit category. Um, and it's it's clear he's just in it for the attention and yeah. then to push the supplements. And, you know, he he does get people talking about him um, one way or another, like doing all kinds of weird caveman stuff in New York City and whatnot, firing guns, which is as primal as it gets. Right. That kind of right. stuff, you know, <laughs> using a tank to blow stuff up. Really just, you know, our, our ancestors could totally relate and jive with the stuff he's doing, um, as well as, you know, all the liver, which people wouldn't actually have access to that much liver because that doesn't make any sense. What would you need to slaughter 20 cows per village every day to get the liver? <laughs> doesn't, doesn't really add up, you know, just mathematically speaking. Um, so, yeah, overall, my, uh, my verdict is that not good, not good overall yeah I, I i think it's interesting when you get to that point because mm-hmm. if we have and, and obviously it's going to be every variation in between but you know we have people who like they're just like brutally honest with just about everything and it's, it's hard to know if they're truly honest about every single thing but like i'd say you're very open and like hey here's my crappy pictures and here's my really good pictures here's when i'm bulking here's when i'm cutting and i'm glad to see that that's out there and and there are a lot of people like that and then you have probably the norm, which is like, they're not blatantly lying, but hey, like, I'm going to post my best pictures, I'm going to sell my supplements. And like, I, I actually don't have that much of a problem with that. Because it's like, look, like, the guys like you and, and people like that calling stuff out is fine. I mean, it's good. It's more honest. But I like the whole, you know, they say lying by omission. I think if you're like, it's understandable that as a business, you're going to post that just like, you know, he, doctor, plastic surgeons, they're going to post their before and afters that are beneficial, right? Like where, where everybody had like the best results. That's just kind of how things are. But I think when it comes to like the ones who are just blatantly flat out lying, that to me is like, where did you get to that point where it's just yeah. like, a, a just complete nonsense. And he's a pretty extreme level of that. Like even somebody like some of these Hollywood actors, they tend to just avoid the question of steroids and whatnot. Whereas, yeah. you know, I saw Liver King on Logan Paul's. Yeah, yeah. I, I saw him on <laughs> Logan Paul's podcast and he was like, you know, if you don't think this is possible naturally, you know, you're a subprimal, which I feel like he is his equivalent of like an incel or something like that, you know? And he's just <laughs> like, you know, these subprimals, they don't believe me. He's like the classic bullshit steroid user argument of like, you know, I've only put on one pound per year for the last 25 years since college where I'd already been lifting for like 10 years. And it was just like, you know, that, that classic argument. Um, and it's interesting though, I guess it's like, okay, so I mean, you're a role model for your kids. Are you telling your kids the truth or that, are you just say, Hey, like your kids are eventually going to hopefully have the intelligence to realize that you're just blatantly lying too. So your entire life is just built on like lying to people it's weird. It's, it's like, it's weird to imagine just like waking up every day and be like, I am just going to be a complete and utter fraud, you know? And it's like, it's going to catch up eventually, right? Like it's one of those things where 
you tell one lie and then you cover it up with another lie and you just cover it up and cover it up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's built like just this pyramid, this palace of lies. And um, it, it's just so unnecessary as well. Like if he just said yes, I don't think, I mean, it might hurt his business a little bit, but I don't think it would be like, oh, he can no longer survive. He's, I mean, he's making millions and millions and millions of dollars. Yeah. Like multi-millions of dollars through his supplements. Like, I think people would actually just appreciate the honesty. But he's too far beyond that, right? Because he lied and then he lied more and then he lied. Yeah. And so now he can't. He can't, right? He's he just... Well, he definitely can't now. But I... Yeah. I mean, if I'm trying to be objective about it, I do think it would hurt his business a lot because we're imagining people like us. But the reality is like the biggest market is the general population and the general population who sees him, they haven't worked out, they're 40 pounds overweight and they think, wow, look, at this is the ticket. And if it's like, hey, this is the ticket because he's doing this primal lifestyle and all this stuff. If you throw in, if he says, hey, I'm also taking steroids, they're like, oh, that's why. So I actually do think it would harm his business a lot. I understand financial motives. It's just interesting to like, to choose that path of just, you know, it'd almost be like being like a defense lawyer for rapists. It's like, can you wake up every day and do that? I mean, some people do it, you know, it's just, it's hard to like, (laughs) to live that life. I mean, yeah, he's, uh, he should be in the Olympics for the mental gymnastics competition. If he feels like even remotely not shitty about himself. Right, right. Some some people can do that. Like they can just, oh, I'm helping people. Like I'm transforming their lives. Like I can. I can tell this little lie and then, you know, but it's for the greater good because no one thinks about themselves as the bad guy, right? They're they're all like, you know, they justify it in some way. And so I'm sure he tells himself stories at night about how he's actually doing good things. Um, But I I don't think many people in the know would really agree with his assessment of the situation. Yeah, there's a good book called Mistakes Were Made But Not By Me. Uh, and the overall book is good, but it, it talks about how, you know, we're, we're very easily convinced of things or, you know, false memories it talks about as well, but how like a lot of justifications, right? And this is very common, you know, you have doctors who maybe like they overcharge for a procedure, but they say, hey, there's a, this person's still benefiting. I mean, and, and the reality is we all make justifications in life, right? Like, obviously, we all try to justify the decisions we've made. So I'm not trying to say anybody here is perfect, but I, I think for somebody like that, for like liver king, it, it probably is easy to say, well, by following this diet, a lot of people are going to improve their health, which could maybe be the case if you're losing weight. And you know, like if you're obese, and you're eating the standard American diet, and you go to a carnivore diet, you probably are going to see improved health markers in a lot of ways, you're going to be, you know, probably significantly less obese. So it, it's probably a justification in that regard. Um, and like you said, some like the tenants, hey, get outside more this and that. Although he did have a bit on saying like he was really talking poorly on sunscreen. And I was like, uh, man, I don't know if you really want to advocate people just being outside like all the time with no protection <laughs> at all. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's very interesting to kind of observe it from the outside. Yeah, no, it's, it's pretty clear. He doesn't, I, I would really have liked to sort of like, he must have a social media team. I'm pretty sure he does. Mm-hmm. And like, just, I would love to be a fly on the wall with those conversations about how they just, what is their game plan? You know, how do they make decisions? Cause it's not just him. Like, Oh, let's, let's chuck around some weights. Uh, I read um, an article about him 
and yeah, he has a whole team and they're all like, they, you know, they set everything up and, and everything is planned out in advance. Yeah. So I would really be curious as to what their decision-making process is. Um, because it seems like very quote unquote natural and instinctive and just sort of organic the way he puts it out there. It's not, it's not most of social media is not organic at all. It's sure. just, especially with these bigger accounts, they, I mean, they, everything is planned out. And I think most people don't realize it's a team, right? Like if you DM someone with a million right. followers, you're probably not talking to them, right? Yeah, sure. It's just, you know, I saw Dorian Yates has like a coaching special on, oh, DM me the word champion or something, mm. get to work. Well, you're probably not talking to them. You're, to you're Dorian Yates, to yeah. Yeah, so I, I think most people don't realize it's a business. Sure. It's a business. And usually the people who make it to the top are those who are business focused and know how to optimize their posts and everything to uh, diddle that algorithm and, and get everything moving upwards in the right direction. And, it, you know, it can be frustrating watching this happen when um, it often rewards people who probably shouldn't be rewarded. I know that sounds like you know, <laughs> a little bit, you know, mildly jealous or, or, doesn't really seem it's just being honest like a lot of the people who get big probably aren't the people who are doing the most good well i think that's an important point to remember that it is a business because when you there are arguments you could be made like he says you know again he talks about subprimals because they'll say oh but like you're living in a mansion you're doing this you're doing that and there's there's plenty of arguments that you could come up to like for instance he says well like for instance, the diet itself is hard, he says. And it's like, yeah, but like, when have we ever gotten anything from stuff that was easy? Like the hard work is what makes it this and that and whatever. It's like, okay, well, why don't you apply that to your living situation? Why don't you live in a tent? Right. But like the problem is you're trying to use logic for somebody who is not basing their arguments in logic. Right. And, and so at the end of the day, like there's really not even a point in providing those arguments to him because that's when he would just defer to like, oh, well, this is a subprimal argument or whatever. It's, it's, there's not going to be logic. It's just going to be justification. Yeah, no, and he'll just avoid everything or, or, you know, duck and weave. And I'm actually kind of curious about what percentage of his followers are following him just like out of entertainment. I think a lot. How many actually believe this shit? Like how many have actually sipped the Kool-Aid? Because I actually kind of take the Greg Knuckles approach of just being entertained by this kind of stuff. Yeah, right. Uh, Greg has been in the industry for so long. He's just like, send me the dregs of the industry, just like the most absurd, crazy stuff. Yeah. um, Calorie deniers and whatnot. I want to see it. I want to revel in it because I just find it to be super entertaining. And so, you know, I wonder how many of his followers take that mindset, that approach, and how many are like, oh, yeah, I'm a primal, that kind of thing. Right. How how does that actually break down? I think probably at least half, honestly, are are probably just like following along. It's just kind of interesting. You know, you mentioned how it's almost seeming like people are getting away from call out culture a little bit or we shouldn't be done as much. But you felt like there were arguments to be made for it, like just on the whole. So obviously we're using this as a specific example. Uh, but in general, I, I believe if I'm remembering correctly, you said something along the lines of like, it's almost looked down upon. Uh, but I was saying how, honestly, like, I don't do like too many call out videos, but I do think that, well, one, probably my most popular video was a call out video, <laughs> but two, I, I just think in general, 
it is important because at the end of the day, like if, if that isn't happening, if there's no, at least some discourse, then yeah. at, at some point, like it just, it just like, you know, rolls and, and rolls. And then eventually like everybody is convinced of something that shouldn't be happening. Right. Or, or just like poor influences. Yeah, no, it's, it's, um, it's one of those things where I do have a number of call out videos. I try to mix it with like informative content because mm -hmm. if you only do the call out stuff, then people only sub for that. And then when you have like a normal video, which I actually like making those you know, actually informative training videos, people are like, what is this? Right. Like, you know, if Philian made like a, Oh, mm. three tips to improve your training or something, people will be like, what? <laughs> what right. What is right. This? Yeah, exactly. This is what I signed up for. That's not hate on Philian, by the way, that's not a call out in a call out <laughs> reference. Um, he just like, that's the style of content that he's chosen to make, which is fine. But I do think it, it is, it is necessary because yeah, otherwise people could just put out misinformation and I mean, most people have no idea, right? Like if someone could say something and they have a great physique and they're very confident about it, you know, maybe they, they drop a PubMed link or something, which mm. doesn't actually support what they say, but right. like it's there and it's, it's a paper and it's scientific. Um, and they could, they could just get away with that. And, um, often there, there aren't as many call out channels as you think, like there aren't that many that are big. Mm -hmm. And often I see people just post whatever, and then they get away with it. Right. And I, I can't like, I can't keep up cause there's just so much. Right. Um, and so, you know, especially with the big stuff, like if someone says they gained four pounds of muscle from a supplement, they're selling oh, yeah. it a month, that kind of stuff. Right. I can't not post about that. And, and I think it is for the greater good. Some people are trying to paint it as like a bad thing or a negative thing. I think calling something bad out is a good thing. Yeah. Like how can, how can that be a bad thing? I mean, how weak spine do you have to be to think that calling out bad things is a bad thing? So for me, I try not to get excessive with it um, or like try to reach for something that isn't there. Yeah, but if it's serious and someone is like clearly malevolent, yeah, I think someone has to call that out, and um, I think it, it should be done. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting that people are like I've seen plenty of people say, "Oh, like just focus on yourself," and and you know just like focus on positivity, and it's like yeah, but like then that's not like if if somebody comes out with like let's say Greg just said talking about testosterone, put on four pounds of lean body mass, whatever in a month, and it's like okay, so somebody says that. And then I put out a video. And again, I, this is coming from somebody who doesn't really do call out videos. I put out a video just saying like a supplement review and like what's out there. And then I can just say like these supplements are effective and these don't tend to be as effective, whatever. I mean, that is good, but it's also not going to help nearly as many people avoid the pitfall of, let's say, turkestrone. Or if I made a video saying like false claims of turkestrone and I say, hey, this is happening. There's actually, there's no evidence at all to suggest that this would happen. There's almost no supplement ever that could do that. And it's actually on par with like a strong steroid if you're getting results like that. So how do you, you know, do that? How do you put that claim out? And I think, uh, I think that, like you said, I think that is a good thing if you have somebody with like completely false claims. Now, obviously you could take that to the extreme and you could say like, you know, like, let's say there was like an Eric Helms, Mike Isertel debate. And if you were just like, totally just lambast Mike is your tone say this is BS. There's no evidence for this. Like, I think it's like, okay, you have to look at the person's intentions. Like I think Mike is your is trying to put up good content. Uh, and you can say, I disagree with this personally, but then when you have somebody, again, it's like, I think if they're selling, like, let's say that supplement 
or just who gave really false claims. You got like, um, who's the guy, V shred and all that stuff. Then I think it makes sense to call it out, especially because so much of the general population, again, as we discussed earlier, are coming across this stuff with no background. Right. And I think that's important. Like my, um, my video on like John equation is like BS X three bands and whatever, like that is one of my most popular videos. And it's like, yeah, because people are probably, maybe they're searching X three bands results and it's good that they come across it and they could say, Oh, okay. Maybe there actually is no evidence. Whereas if they just came across this stuff, it's like, you know, you, you just start to get in your head about it and you see more positive results, quote unquote. And, uh, you go from there. Yeah, no, one of my most popular videos is uh, on VShred's ARM program. And I still get emails to this day from people who are like, wow, I Googled this and like I came across this video. Thank you for saving me from this horrible program. Yeah. It's yeah. not any sense. And yeah, stuff like that, I, I don't see that as a bad thing at all. Um, the trouble is, yeah, when people start to reach, right? Like their call out channels. And they start to reach for stuff that maybe isn't there. Right. Um, like Greg Doucette made a video the other day and the title was like, Oh, Ronnie didn't do steroids. Like he said, he didn't take steroids on Jay Leno. But if you look at the comments that, that Ronnie actually said, he said, Oh, a bodybuilding show. Uh, I don't want to do no steroids. And, mm -hmm. and I like hamburgers. Therefore I can't do a bodybuilding show. So it's obvious in that context that he was saying to someone else, Oh, I don't want to do a bodybuilding show because I would have to do steroids mm -hmm. and I wouldn't be able to eat hamburgers. So if you just look at the sentence, it's obvious that he wasn't denying that he used steroids. It was just, it was just twisted. Right. right? And sure. some channels would just do this to try to find a title. And, um, you know, Greg's not the only one, but he's done it a bunch of times where yeah. it's just taken out of context and it's just there for the title to get people to click. And, you know, he'll be outraged, of course, that, oh, how could this person say something when they, you know, they weren't actually, that's not what they meant, right? Yeah. And I don't know if this is like willful ignorance or not being able to interpret what someone actually said. But to me, it was very obvious that it was a pretty innocent statement and not denying that he had used steroids at all. Um, There's another funny one with Ronnie somewhere. I don't know what show it was. Maybe it was the same thing. But somebody said something about, there was like a Q&A with him. And the person just nonchalantly, like as if it was obviously accepted that steroids were part of it. And he said something, something about steroids. And Ronnie's like, I ain't never used no steroids. And it was just like, everybody's like cracking up. But I think at that level, it's, it's like, come on, man. Like, do you really have so, to even yeah, say it? It's like, you know, Ronnie's a charismatic guy. And so he's saying something that like pretty much everyone knows. Right. Oh, I would never do that. Right. Like, oh, look at me. Right. Like, it's, it's obvious. And yeah. he's just sort of like playing around. But then, like, you take that statement, you're like, how dare he say this? And it's, yeah. it's, it's just taking everything out of context. And, you know, sarcasm is something that is very near and dear to my heart. And it's pretty obvious when someone is, is behaving in that manner or when they're actually being malicious or lying. And so, yeah, it, it, can, be, it can be tricky because, but am I going to make a video calling out Greg on this, this one situation? No, it's just like, I go to the video, I watch it, and I'm like, yeah, that's bullshit. That's not what he meant. And then yeah. I just move on with my day, right? It's like right. it's only the really bad stuff that I think should be called out. Sure, sure. So you mentioned V Shred's arm program, and that was one of the things we talked about. Is, is like specific arm training. So you got some meaty, juicy arms, Jeff. So uh, <laughs> so give us your three top tips for big arms. No, but uh, is there anything that you do that you think is different than the same tried and true principles? Or 
do you think it's just, hey, this is just a pretty good body part of mine and my insertions are pretty good or is it something specific? So I guess a few things. I did train change up my training split to where I have like a dedicated arm bro day where it's like shoulders, a little bit of arms, maybe like rotator cuff stuff. Um, so my whole training split, just for context, is legs day one. And then day two is chest and back mostly. So pushes, a little bit of pressing sometimes, and then rows and pulls. Okay. And then the day three is like basically just arms and shoulders, like isolation for shoulders. Okay. Um, and then repeat, repeat, repeat. Occasionally I'll take a day off if like it just shows up. Um, and so I do think that helps. You can sprinkle in the arm work throughout whatever split you have, but I found that just having that single day to focus on arms has helped um, because they have grown the most, I would say, proportionately over the past couple of years. Um, you know, as for like genetics, it's sort of hard to say because, you know, if you look at me when I started lifting, I wouldn't say that I had like standout arms, mm -hmm. like they were naturally big. Um, I mean, they're probably 12 inches or something, maybe right. 11 inches or like they were, I was skinny, you know, I was, I was 150 or so pounds, which isn't rail thin, right? but you know, I was starting pretty lean and I was, you know, I gained pretty quickly from there. Um, so I don't, maybe it's genetics. Like it's, it's hard to tell, like insertions do matter. Uh, and I do have a pretty full arm. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of that is training as well. I do a lot of like overhead work. Mm -hmm. where it's beyond failure. And I haven't seen many people do it the same way that I do it, where it's like pretty aggressive. It's not like slow and controlled because I did that for many years, like mind muscle connection, very slow, very controlled, feeling the weight, feeling the muscle, the contraction, the squeeze, the stretch. The trouble is it just limits the amount of weight you can use pretty dramatically. Yeah. Especially because I was doing like, pretty high reps as well. And so I was using on overhead extensions and pushdowns like 20 kilos, mm -hmm. 45 pounds or so. Um, and now I'm using like three times that. So I have to stack dumbbells on the, the cable thing. Um, and so that has helped a lot where I haven't been doing like metabolic type of stuff or like mind muscle connection. It's basically just been straight sets and a lot of straight sets and heavier. So more like eight to 10 rep stuff. Yeah. Uh, even like six to eight rep. And I did, I did have a phase where I did even lower. I was doing like triples and sets of four and five and stuff, maxing out on incline dumbbell curls, stuff like that. <laughs> uh, which in hindsight is not probably not productive. I would say keep it to five and up reps, but, um, you do see a lot of people, they just, they stick to only like 10 to 15 for arms and then it's only slow and controlled. And so the amount of weight is just not particularly high. And so with the cheat, so whether if it's a pushdown, I'm cheating a little bit, I'm getting a little bit of lats involved, I'm, I'm using momentum, but I'm still controlling the eccentric. I'm still starting the movement with the triceps. I'm mm -hmm. still finishing with the triceps. It's just like, 50% more weight than I could with a super strict form yeah. or maybe even more. It might even be like 60. I mean, I've gone up to like 80 kilos for pushdowns. 
mm. um, which is like what one one seventy six hundred seventy six mm. pounds. So you know, I want to see if I can push down my body weight. That would be that would be interesting. I don't know if that would actually have to like get someone to hold on to my hold you down or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's very interesting because so that split, that's a split that I use in high school, actually. Um, and it was it was basically but it was rotating on a five day schedule. So it was actually by Tom Venuto. Um, he was one of like my early influences, I guess. But yeah, so it was leg day, which was like a super, super brutal leg day, um, chest back and then shoulders and arms. And you'd kind of rotate on like every five days. I mean, yep. yeah, I gained a ton, but I was also, you know, just starting. So obviously it's hard to say. Um, but you have people like, like John Meadows used to talk about a, a specifically arm devoted day. A lot of people have mentioned that they feel like that's really beneficial. Um, some, some theorize, which I don't really buy into that, like by having both parts of the muscle. So, so pumped, there's like more of a yeah. stretch. I yeah, think I've it's probably that. more just like, you're totally fresh for both, you know? Um, so I actually, one of my, so I have two upper days per week and one of them, I actually start with biceps and triceps and the other one, which is pretty unusual. Um, but it's, it's the one I do at home. So I actually want my back and chest to be a little bit like weaker because it just makes it easier to, you know, at home. Um, and then my like heavy day on the weekend, I go to the gym and that's like, I start with, you know, like all like the traditional, you know, chest and back movements. And then I go down and down to like biceps, triceps, but it's interesting because you've got guys like you who it's pretty rare actually that guys go from the slower controlled mind muscle connection to the heavier weight, just kind of like, you know, rough yep. form. Cause typically it's like the standard. Yep. Yeah. Like the standard timeline is like you get into lifting, you got all this ego into it. Yeah. You're doing partials, you're doing all this craziness. And then after 10 years, you're like, wow, that was so dumb. I didn't need all that. weight." Right. Yeah. I'm in pain. So now I can get the same stimulus with half the weight, you know, and, and that's what you see a lot of guys. Right. Um, so to see you kind of go the opposite and still feel like you got better results by going back to that is interesting. Yeah, because I was copying uh, IFBB pros that I saw who probably were going in that direction because they're getting very, very strong. They're on anabolics. You know, maybe the pump is a big bigger determinant of what an effective workout might be for them. Maybe there's some factual stretching. Uh, maybe the pump is just going to correlate with the anabolics that are coursing through their veins. Um, but I found that not focusing on the pump because that's what I was doing before, like lots of drop sets to where I was like probably finishing up with um, not much more than the bar on curls, sometimes less than the bar. I would finish with like dumbbells just to, because the bar was too heavy because I was so fatigued from the yeah. quadruple drop set and stuff like that. I don't even, I haven't done that kind of stuff in years and I don't miss it. And I don't think it has, I don't think it'll ever make a return. Um, the only thing that might change me back to more of that style of training would be if I got injured, right? Like if I, if I had an elbow issue or shoulder or something or wrist where I could not train this way, yeah, maybe I might experiment with like blood flow restriction or like just to limit the the weight that I was using. Um, but I found that as long as I'm reasonable with the progressive overload and I'm controlling the eccentric and I'm warming up super, super well uh, and I'm listening to my body, I haven't found that there's any injury issues training in this style. Um, 
You know, you could make the argument that it's riskier or the stimulus to fatigue ratio is worse, but I'm still doing pretty high volumes. And therefore the argument is like, oh, it's higher stimulus, but it's also way higher fatigue. Mm. Therefore you'd be better off doing this more controlled style to get a little bit less stimulus, but a lot less fatigue. Therefore you could do more sets. And so overall the stimulus to fatigue ratio would be better, but I'm already doing a shitload of sets. Mm. So that means I would have to be doing like 40 fucking sets for arms, like 40 for triceps, 40 for biceps or something. I'm a little busy for that kind of stuff. Like I like training, but you know, I'd rather get after it with fewer sets, have them be theoretically higher stimulus, also higher fatigue. Cause if I can recover and progress, it's a sign that fatigue is not really the issue. Plus it might actually be better stimulus to fatigue ratio, right? The stimulus might be so much higher that there's no amount of sets of this controlled pump style of training that could actually get the same results, right? Like if you go from squatting, and then you hurt your back mm-hmm. and then you go to leg extensions only. How many sets of leg extensions do you need to keep progressing when you used to be able to do like squats and hack squats and all these great movements? Right. It might be infinite leg extensions. Like there right. might not be enough leg extension volume <laughs> in the world that right. you could use to still progress. Like it might just be some exercises are simply inferior. Sure. Just point blank. Like there's no amount of volume you can do. Uh, and that's actually I would say that's what I found because that controlled style, it plateaued me at like 15 inches. And now I'm like 17 and a half towards 18. Mm. And so, you know, the numbers, they don't, they don't really lie. And so when I get people commenting saying like, Oh, you shouldn't do cheat reps. Uh, you should do a drop set instead because that gets you the same, that gets you the same results. Yeah. It, it doesn't though. Right. Like, and usually it's like beginners who just heard something online and they were just regurgitating it. Um, but I found that this was, you know, this has been a lot more productive, time efficient, uh, and more enjoyable actually overall too. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I mean, just for people listening and maybe you disagree. I, I highly doubt that one style versus the other would be a difference of two and a half inches. Like assuming that you still lifted the same amount of time, assuming you still bulk and cut and bulk and cut like you're, yeah. I, don't, I don't think it would make that much of a difference. Um, because everything has grown, right? I assume over this time period, like, I don't know how much you weighed at one, when you said you had 15 inch arms, how much did you weigh at the time? I want to say 83 kilos, 82. So like a hundred and like 180, maybe. Okay. And how much do you weigh now with uh 17 and a half? 210. Okay. Right. So, I, I mean, you know, obviously I think just the gaining of weight is a, is a huge factor of there. Um, yeah. Like if I had, if I'd kept up with that style of training this entire time, I think I would have still grown, but certainly not as much. And I would say it's, it's really hard to say what proportion is what, right? Like yeah. Is it, is it the training? Is it the diet? Like it's a combination. Is it the bulk, sure. Right. Um, but to me, it's quite clearly superior it's just like how much superior and then, you know, who is it superior for? And so if someone wants to train in a certain way, I'm never like, Oh no, that's dumb. Like, Oh, you gotta, you gotta do it this way. No, like you gotta go by your own experiences. And so, you know, I I track everything to the point where I usually have a pretty good idea about what is causing what, Mm -hmm. um, never a hundred percent and never know for sure, like the proportions, 
but for me, um, I'm quite confident in saying that it's, it's a night and day difference, at least for me. Yeah. Well, and again, the whole like individual variation there, right? Because I've just seen too many anecdotes for both methods to ever say that one is so clearly superior, right? Like Jay and Ronnie was classic, like duo, right? Going into the early like 2000s and whatnot. And Jay, don't get me wrong, people, people make this dichotomy too much. And they'll say, oh, Ronnie trained super heavy and hard and Jay used lightweights. It's like, no, Jay was incredibly strong. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but he did not train like Ronnie to that same extent. And they were both, you know, just absolute houses. So obviously genetics and everything factor in, but even like for you, like you could say the opposite would be like a Steve Hall where he is all about like, you know, uh, stimulus to fatigue ratio. And a lot of his training is far from failure and very controlled. And he has also made fantastic progress, you know, in that same time period. So um, I do think, it's very likely that there is individual variation. Um, but I think it's hard to say like one method in general is, is clearly superior. On the yeah, whole. actually, I, I, yeah, I, I've taken actually some stuff from, you know, his idea on like form resets and there's a bunch of exercises. I actually have a video plan. I mean, I've reset my form one way or another on literally every exercise I've ever done at some mm. point, uh, whether it's an RDL where I had to take it, out of the spinal erectors because it's just like looking really not the way it's supposed to mm. or they're getting like quads out of the bottom position it's not really like a hamstring stretch anymore um because you can almost for most movements you can throw weight on the bar but you know you're not doing it in the same way for bodybuilding right mm. like you're, you're losing a lot of the effect by going up in weight some you know not always but sometimes you can you can sort of I don't want to say cheat because my form reset for arms was cheating. Right. Right. It was not being so robotic. Um, so I don't even consider it to be cheating. It, it's, it's like me and my arm training is in an open relationship. So it's not, <laughs> it's not cheating. You know, I got that from a commenter. That's, that wasn't mine, but I, I told him I would steal it. So I stole it. That's fine. Um, but then a lot of other stuff like squats, I've changed a lot. RDLs a lot. Bench press, I used to just springboard the shit out of yeah. it. I mean, it, it would go like halfway into my body, just like dive bomb it and then like launch it up like that. Well, that, that brings up because I didn't even realize actually as we're talking about it, but you know, you are kind of known for okay, he's not super strong relative to his size, but that's because you have this strict form, you have full range of motion, etc. So, is it specifically arms that you're doing yeah. some of this stuff? arms and rows and some laterals but not to the extent that i used to like i used to do lateral raises with like 55 65 pounds per hand oh wow yeah it was ugly it was ugly my pr is like 25 kilos 55 pounds for 50 reps jeez okay yeah, no, <laughs> i think actually I, I attribute a lot of my trap gains to just like flailing lateral yeah. raises because it was like bent arms, it was a lot of hips. Yeah, it was a lot of like, you know, ducking under the weight. Sure. To try to like pretend yeah. like you're getting full range of motion, but then not even getting full range of motion. And then by the last ten reps, you're just like, <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> not barely moving the weight. But you know, I actually did notice trap growth from that. The trouble is, it was shit for side delts. <laughs> right. Yeah. Meadows though had a lot of stuff out on um, 
what did he call them? I don't remember what he called them, but these partials, he had it for rear delts and he had it yeah, for yeah, laterals. Yeah, so these kind of like swings. Slingers or something, yeah. Yeah, which I I've personally, yeah, I, I personally wasn't a huge fan of them. I definitely felt them. I just, it made tracking, like I'm very big on like being able to track consistent progression. And it's yeah. like, okay, so I do a full rep. I can very easily measure that. But when you're just kind of swinging, it's like, am I swinging this one up 12 inches and 11 inches? Yeah. It's very hard. You know, I, I could see it being used as like a, a finisher, quote unquote, but, yeah. you know, I don't know. Yeah, no, that's that's what I would, I get that question a lot, especially on rows. Like I do, you know, four sets of 15 on chest supported rows or something. The first set is roughly to failure. The second set is with failure and then a few partials mm. and just going until I get to 15, right? So I might hit failure in full range of motion at 12 reps. I do three partials. Mm. Then the next set, I hit failure at nine reps and I get six partials. And then the last, the last set, I'm super fatigued. I might hit failure on full range of motion at like six reps in. And then I just keep powering away until I get nine extra pathetic baby reps. By the end, it's just like a, a you know, it's like a kind of like a shrug or something. Right. Um, and so people might say, Hey, how do you track that? And I just say, I write it down as four sets of 15 with the understanding hmm. that the first set was roughly to failure. And then you can use that first set to gauge progress. Right, because the other sets, you know, you just understand, hey, like they're going to be to failure. How far beyond failure? I don't even track it. I don't even. Mm. And you have to have some other way to track progress, I think, especially when you're more advanced and it just becomes slower anyway. Um, but for like lateral raises, I have lots of places in my training log where it's just like six sets of 15 or five sets of 20 or something. And I look at that and I just know it was some amount of failure per set that's interesting I, I, don't, huh. I, I don't know like how much it was because i don't bother tracking that but like okay maybe i'll add a little bit of weight at some point and then it'll be it'll jump up like from from 10 kilos per hand to 12 kilos per hand but it'll be the same sets and the same reps i just know it'll look a little sloppier yeah and then I'll, I'll clean it up and clean it up and clean it up which might take months and this is actually where it got to be out of hand because I was progressing too quickly and my form just went to shit and just, you know, went, mm. I was too aggressive basically. Yeah. But now I am more patient. And so I still feel like I get a lot out of that process. I just have to hold my ba myself back from using weights that are way in excess of what are going to be useful. And so the form reset wasn't completely strict reps all the time, but it was like strict enough basically compared to what it was before. So almost all of your sets then are to failure pretty much. Um, it depends. I would say pretty much all are within a couple reps, um, but it depends on the movement pattern. So rows, if it's like a chest supported row or a helms row or something where it's like, there's no postural support. Yeah. Like failure is kind of my default. And then I'll just go beyond that as the sets progress. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of people ask me like, oh, reps and reserve. I, that is, on rows, I just, <laughs> I, I mean, it's just a different, I mean, if I kept three reps and reserve on a row, I would finish the set and just be like, I just look at the weight and be like, well, I could do 18 more of that in the workout. Yeah. And just like, 
I just get bored, right? Um, it's not even, it, it might even be worse stimulus to fatigue because it's no stimulus compared to what I've been doing. Mm-hmm. And it's like the fatigue of just being fed up with such a miserable effort. Um, and then stuff like pulls, vertical pulls. So pull downs, pull ups. I don't go beyond failure as much because usually sometimes it's that, that last little part of the range of motion, which is challenging, mm-hmm. but it's a little bit more even than rows. Rows seem to be like, you know, you just hit that sticking point at the end, but it's fairly smooth. Whereas often pulls will have like a sticking point at the very start. And then also at the very end, this is why often you see people do like mid range mm-hmm. partials and pull ups. Yeah. And you can like double your reps basically. Yeah. Um, that's one thing I had to reset as well because I was doing like, I think I did 40 kilos, um, you know, eight, uh, two plates for eight reps in, in the pull up. But it, but it was like, is is like a little bit of this kind of action. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just saw the other day, I just deleted that whole column from my chart. I was like, I'm mm-hmm. never going to do this again. So it's like, yeah, right. Interesting. Forget about this. Cause you start just comparing yourself to that. And then it's just not useful. Right. Um, and so vertical poles, I will tend to not go beyond failure as much, but I'll still typically go to failure um, or maybe zero reps in reserve. Okay. Um, Cause there's a little bit of a difference there pushes. I'm a little bit more conservative, especially if it's a bench press where I don't have a spot or I don't have supports, but I'll still typically go zero to one reps in reserve. Uh, and that's like a true zero to one reps in reserve for a lot of people. You see, they say zero to one and you're just like, yeah, I don't know, man, it didn't slow yeah. at all. And like, so that whole thing where you'd say, if you have like five sets, you just know that the latter sets are less, you know, like the form is not as good or, you know, that's really applying to maybe like arms, laterals, some rows, but not. Yeah. You know, yeah. Rows, laterals, a little bit of arms. Um, not typically biceps, more like pushdowns where you can like cheat a little bit because mm-hmm. you can cheat on curls, but I will a little bit. Um, but I found that um, I'm a little bit more sensitive to biceps volume anyway, in terms of just like injury. Like yeah. I could do shit loads of, of extensions beyond failure and I don't have any issues with that. Mm-hmm. But okay. um, if I do like, a whole bunch of sets of cheat curls, you know, I feel like maybe that's not as, as, um, not as smart just for me. Um, and then pushes, pushes and presses. It's hard to go beyond failure really. Um, cause the sticking point is in the middle. Right. Usually. So it's like, unless you have a spotter and it's like, it's just, it's a whole big thing. I have been using the Smith machine and for reverse grip bench. Um, so if you fail, it's just like, it's in the Smith machine. It's it's in the supports. Yeah. Um, or you can like. So you're doing reverse grip Smith bench. Yeah, actually, it's um. Where'd you get that from? Um, I've used reverse grip before. It might have been bodybuilding.com, except I think they mm-hmm. used a decline. And I remember looking at it like four years ago and just being like Smith machine. He's <laughs> <laughs> <an> idiot. <laughs> Bodybuilding. Um, but yeah, it's actually it's actually pretty good. Um. So yeah, that was like a staple of mine for a while. I, I got it from um, like DC trainees, actually. Okay. Yeah, yeah, they they have lots of really good movements. Um, they don't typically use flat 
barbell bench press. I think that's like the one they avoid. Yeah, pretty much. It's very hard to do rest pause with that. I've tried it. It sucks. It, it's like, it's just not a good movement for it. even like dumbbells in general are hard because like you only rest about, they say 15 breaths, which becomes about 40 seconds in my experience. Like, cause they're, they're taking like, you know, full breaths, yeah. but to like kick those up every time, it's such a pain in the ass and to like unrack a bar. It's just one of those things like find a machine, like Smith machines. Great. The hammer strength machines are great. Hammer strength is very big with DC trainees. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, um, some movements I've gotten sloppier and cheat more cheating and, and like heavier and partials and stuff. And then other movements I've just done more sets and just focused on like straight sets, progressive overload, training close to failure, that kind of thing. Um, and I do think the strength curve is important there. And some movements I don't even think, you know, some movements I do keep reps in reserve, right? Like right now on squats and deadlifts, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a lot more <laughs> respectful of those movements mm -hmm. uh, compared to before the QL issue. Mm -hmm. um, and just like looking around, there's a lot of people who used to deadlift and then they're just like, yeah, uh, keep that shit away from me. Like I I've seen a number of people. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, yeah, it's super common. And so, you know, with, with an RDL, it's heavy, it's spinal loading, it's end range stretching muscle lengthening and so like I mean, you could keep five reps in reserve and especially if you're focused on really sitting back and lengthening the hamstrings and, and controlling the eccentric it honestly almost doesn't matter about reps in reserve as long as it's pretty heavy and somewhat challenging this is this is one situation where i don't necessarily push as close to failure just because you know being realistic and you know, not fear mongering. It is, it is riskier. And like, if you really want to push to failure, there are other movements that you can add on later. If you really want to do that, like, you know, go for the hamstring curl that that's going to be totally safe. And who gets snapped up on a hamstring curl, right? right. Like, that would be, that would be impressive if someone, someone managed to do that. But, but there are movements that are just inherently like who gets hurt on a hip thrust, right? Like, is that, I don't even know. Yeah. I guess it's possible, right? Maybe you could hyperextend or something, but it's just, you know, some movements, they, they do seem to inherently have a higher risk of injury. And for some people, when you say that, they're like, oh, provide a study or you know, uh, you're fear-mongering. But just like observationally and, and talking to a lot of people, you know, if someone hurts their knee, you know, like was it squats or like, oh, was it, you know, was it this? If someone hurts their back, like deadlifting, someone hurts their shoulder like you know often it's the bench press mm -hmm. uh, and so i think for these movements it's just better to be a little bit more respectful of them i guess and yeah. you can also like you, you're getting a lot out of them anyway even without a super close proximity to failure so you say you do pretty high volume how many days per week are you lifting and about how many sets per muscle group um Six or seven days a week. Wow. I'll just take a day off. Yeah, so it, I'll just take a day off when it shows up, right? Like, um, not even if I'm tired, really. Just, like, if there's something going on, you know, that day. Um, but, yeah, typically seven days a week. I would say it's more often seven days a week compared to six. Wow. Um, and that's not – I don't know. It's just, like, part of my routine. And it's what gets me out of the house, right? Like, 
you know, if, if I was working at a, at an office or something, I would probably do like four days a week or something, yeah. five days. Um, but like, it's what gets me out of the house. What's get, you know, it's sort of what my day is formed around, et cetera. Um, and so, so you think that's more effective than like four or five days per week, or you just have split it up because you like to be out of the house that much? Um, I wouldn't say it's more effective. Um, and I put a lot of people on four or five days a week plans. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, if anyone is listening to this and like, oh, I can't work out seven days a week, I'm never going to No, a lot of people make progress on three days a week. Mm-hmm. Um, you could even maybe go for two days a week. Um, and so, yeah, I wouldn't say like any of my gains are from doing a certain number of days per week. Um, and there are certainly I, I could structure it for four days a week and get like pretty similar results, I would say. Yeah. Uh, and did you already of, say how many oh yeah, sets? Yeah, in terms of sets, um it's auto-regulated. So it's not like a fixed number of sets. Um this is one issue where I used to track volume pretty heavily. Like it used to be something that was measured and managed, but the trouble was if you manage something too much, it becomes the goal. And sometimes just having more volume is not always a good thing. And so I was just doing too much volume. And if you think about it, the way to do more volume is to do easier exercises, to train further away from failure, um, you know, just to be in the gym for longer, et cetera. Yeah. And so because I was just chasing the sets, the volume, because, you know, I'd read the Schoenfeld study and 45 sets per week and all that stuff. I was like, oh, ooh, I got I to gotta do more sets. And almost like subconsciously, when you're doing more volume, your effort per set goes down. Mm-hmm. So right now, I don't track my volume week to week. I'll track it occasionally, like I'll add it up over the previous month. Like, oh, what was my, what was my number of sets, you know, this month? Um, and it looks like last month was... Um, this is April. Let's see. 51 sets for hinges, 84 for squats, 50 for rows, 92 for pull, 91 push, 17 press, six for power, which is like, you know, hang power, hang this high is pulls. per month. Yeah, per month. So divided by four, 4.3 ish mm-hmm. to get weak. 100 for biceps. Damn, dude. Uh, 52 25 sets bicep. of biceps per week. A uh, hundred, a hundred. So, like, right. So, like 22, then 20, whatever it would be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, 23, which is, yeah, it's a good amount. <laughs> is that um, so? That's direct sets of biceps. <laughs> Holy crap, dude. Yeah. Um, and then 68 for shoulders. Although, it's worth noting that. That 100 is is a bit of an outlier. My average is 60. I'll just tell you the average for the past year. I think that's probably better than... Okay. Because it is varying because I'm auto-regulating. So mm. for hinges over the past year or so, 37. So around you know, less than 10 sets per week for hinges. And that used to be way more. That used to be over double that. Wow. Um, so that, that actually dropped down quite a bit. Let's see... 72 for squat, so, you know, 16 or so per week. And then 63 for rows per month, 78 for pulls, 
So like 18 or so sets. So you're doing over 30 sets for back per yeah. week. And then on top of that, you're doing an extra like 15 plus sets for biceps. Yeah. Wow. That is very high volume, dude. Yeah. And they're, I mean, they're all quality sets as well. Right. Exactly. Um, These are not like four RAR sets. Yeah. This is, and this is where wow. you have that volume to effort per set continuum right where higher volumes has to be less effort per set that's what we're told right yeah and then you know lower volumes you can do more effort per set um kind of just did both um and then you get the question of like oh well how do you recover well i, I warm up really well i'm getting probably nine hours of sleep per night and um, steroids and yeah <laughs> trend <laughs> liver um and actually i think part of it is that i'm not that strong Cause I've actually thought about it and often enhanced lifters, they have lower volume because they're so strong that the limiting factor is their connective tissue. Mm -hmm. So I've seen this several times where beginner low volume, because you're so sensitive to it and you just don't need very much anyway. And your work capacity might not be that high. And then intermediate has the highest volume. And then when you're advanced, it might even dip, especially if you're advanced and you're moving just like, ridiculous amounts of weight yeah um and so i i would actually say i train more like an intermediate hmm. in a lot of ways um which seems a little bit paradoxical but that's the only reason like i can come up with because if i was like as strong as would be expected you know with three plate bench you know four plate squat five plate deadlift or more um, and I was doing those big movements. Yeah. I wouldn't be able to do anywhere near, but I think your strength, I mean, at this point, like what's your working weight for bench? Uh, last session was 95 kilos, close grip Larson press for six, four, four. Okay. So I don't so know what that would be. kilos is 210. So uh, so let's say it's like two ten, and you said what four by six or something, or you said six, six four four. four, four. Yeah, as a close grip bench, I mean that's not weak, dude. I, I mean again, and close grip, like my close grip is almost as strong as my. I don't really do wide grip ever. So, um, you know, now again, I'm I'm obviously smaller than you, but for six four four, I might do, I don't know, like two thirty. No, yeah, not two fifty. Yeah. No, definitely not two fifty. Um, okay, so we're not that far off what's your, what what's your wingspan my what what's oh, your wingspan six four okay yeah uh, pretty long arms what's yours yeah six might be six four maybe six two. Oh, really I I mean, relative to your I think height it's slightly more than my height yeah okay yeah i mean i definitely have very long arms long legs um I think my legs are even longer. Like people consist, like whenever I like a post, like a video on my story or something, like there was one of me doing like split squats and I had like so many people DM me, like your legs are so long. <laughs> um, they are annoyingly long. So, uh, <laughs> but I'm just saying like, it's, and now again, I'm 195, you're 210, but I'm just like, you're not, it's not like you're weak. You know what I mean? You're not as strong as you look, but you're not weak. So that I'm just saying relative to that argument of like, well, it's because I'm so weak. Like, would the recovery be that much different if you had another 20 to 30 pounds on these lifts? It would be a little different, but I don't think it's like, 
the reason. I mean, I don't think you have, if you have this info out there already, then ignore this. But I think an interesting Instagram post for you would just be to like put it because most people don't know or want to do the math for this monthly divided by 4.3. But I think mm. what you just said, you should just take that and make an Instagram post and say like average weekly volume over the last six months. I think people would find that interesting because I was something I talked with Abel about is like, you know, we kind of know generally from seeing your stuff, what you do, but yeah. I don't like, we don't really know what you do specifically. I mean, unless somebody's like really watching all of your stuff and pieces it together. So I think that'd be an interesting post of just like weekly volume. Cause I had no idea that you were doing like 35 <laughs> sets a week of back. I mean, that's a ton. Yeah. Yeah. Back, back, especially because it was, um, it was more of a focus this past year. Um, I mean, everything was, but you know, back, especially, especially lats. Um, yeah, they were a big focus. Um, but I get one of the reasons why I don't talk about it as much because I think people would be tempted to fall into the same trap that I did because those numbers are less than they were in 2019. In 2019, I was doing uh, maybe 20% more volume. And a lot of that was on hinges. It was on squats. Oh, the volume numbers perfect. less, not your strength numbers. Uh, well, my, um, my strength is better now, but my volume okay. was higher before. Okay, uh, that makes more sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. So con- it was considerably higher before. Um, and that's because I was chasing volume. So my quality of the sets in terms of like the execution, the intention, um, it just wasn't quite there. And then I was also like chasing numbers as well, but then also chasing volume. And it just, it wasn't particularly well controlled. Um, and so right now I don't have a number of sets that I want to have for a workout. Mm-hmm. I don't go into a workout thinking, oh, I want to do this number of sets for this exercise. I usually give myself a range three to five sets per exercise Hmm. feeling good. I might do six, but if I don't, if I don't feel good, I might just do two sets or maybe even just one set Right? like I've had times where, um, you know, I I wanted to do a a side delt isolation and I just did one set and I was just like, yeah, I don't know. I just went home. Right. Hmm. Because like, if I'm, if I'm tired, I, I auto regulate a lot better than I used to. I used to like train myself into the ground and then the next day would be like nothing. Then I train myself into the ground, and then the next day would be you know a shitty workout. And so there's a lot less consistency. Whereas now, if I get the feeling like, oh, why am I here? Like, why am I doing this? Why am I in the gym? I just leave. I'm just like, nope. Just like, nope, nope. Because I because I know if I get that feeling and I train through it, it's like exponentially worse for recovery. And you're not. I'm not getting anything more out of it, especially as I'm already doing a pretty high level of volume anyway so you know for me right now i'm fairly in tune with my body mm-hmm. with like what i need and how much i need and, and what would be good for progression and what exercises i need and like a lot of the stuff that i did in like 2018 2019 it was dumb but it also led me to finding what actually works for me what time do you work out typically 2 p.m Okay. Later. So, yeah. Cause I, I like to go in the morning because I, I don't know if I'm just like more tired than the average person or what, but I like, for me, I have one workout per week that I'd go after work. 
And like when I was working with Steve, so it was like a high volume workout at home. So on top of it being high volume, it was a full upper rather than the other, like we did upper lower, and then we did push pull legs. So this was my upper workout, fairly high volume, all these adjustable dumbbells. So I'm taking weights off, put them on, taking them off, put them on. And it was like 5 PM after work day. And I grew to just hate this workout. Like I, I really hated it. Um, versus like a uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I get up, I go to the gym and I just feel so much better about it. 2 PM, I guess, but like yours is a little different because you're not, again, like you mentioned, not an office. So you're kind of just going about your day, doing your thing, and then you just go. So I, I could see that being optimal. Yeah, I find that um, I haven't worked out in the morning in a really long time. But yeah, I don't feel as good. Um, like I need a little bit of time to get the blood caffeine levels a little mm. bit elevated, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I just find like mid-afternoon is a good, a good fit. I've gone in the evening, but I usually train. I don't eat before I train. So I don't eat in the morning. I don't have lunch. And then I go to the gym and I have. But you consume calories. You're drinking. Stuff, right? Don't I have, you have like, like milk and stuff. I have a scoop of protein. Yeah. And then I have a liter of milk as I train. Okay. Which, yeah. Which is unusual. And it gets a lot of stares here because 90% <laughs> yeah. of the population is lactose intolerant. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, man, I, I love cheese way too much to not like, I'm, I don't have any issues with it, but I was just visiting a friend and uh, he's like very lactose intolerant. And I was like, Oh my God, dude, this sucks. Like every, every meal we ordered, I was like double my cheese. Cause he just can't have any. So <laughs> um, yeah, I know. I mean, I like that's like the days where I can just kind of like, like today, basically it's 10 AM here, do this. Maybe I'll record a video, have a pre-workout shake, and then I'll go to the gym. I do. I, I haven't had caffeine in years and I, I very much miss it for sure. Yeah, no, I haven't. I'm pretty sure I've had caffeine every day for like the past five years. Yeah, I mean, it's actually more than norm, honestly. Like most people do at this point have caffeine. Yeah. So <laughs> people have joked, like when I finished the whole Steve Hall coaching, I was like, oh, like, you know, should I train with anybody next? And there's a lot of people, there's some, some of the suggestions I was pretty surprised about, but a lot of people were named, you were named. I was like, you know, you would be, and we joked about that too, because you're very much... I don't want to say the opposite, but it's very different training. Different, yeah. yeah, for sure. Um, however, if, if you put me on seven days a week and 35 sets for back, I'm going to tell you that screw <laughs> off. So <laughs> no, no, like it wouldn't be. Yeah. That, that's why I, I don't talk about the volume that much because I know there's going to be someone who sees that and then is like, Oh, that's, that's the key to everything. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I have most people on like, evidence-based quote-unquote like moderate you know typical 10 to 20 set or, or probably on the lower side most of the time mm. uh sets and then just because because most people need to focus on the quality over the quantity anyway right like getting getting the focus the aggression the intention the execution the technique um and getting the most out of every set before they add sets so i have most people on like kind of modest volumes Hmm. Um, and then like adding in if needed. So I don't know how much volume I would put you on. Um, cause, cause Steve Hall is also fairly high volume. It sounds like you were doing a lot more than, than you had done before. Right. Well, that's what was interesting to me because I kind of expected it to be like much higher volume and, um, a lot more like escalation throughout the weeks. But really, I don't know if you saw my whole video on it, but I posted like starting versus ending each week. And most, it was like, 
like things like biceps would only increase by like one or two sets throughout the entire mesocycle. Back and shoulders would increase maybe like four or five sets, but that was going from like nine up to like 14, right? Or biceps and triceps might've been like five to seven. It wasn't actually as much as I was thinking it was going to put me on, which is interesting because it was five days a week versus three. And I, I think leg training was definitely significantly more than what I was doing. Um, cause I kind of backed off there a little bit. And then I guess also some things that I just didn't do at all before, for instance, like I never had sets for rear delts specifically. I mean, obviously in my training I had, but for like a couple of years I hadn't. Um, but in my past for sure, I just, I don't know. I never really seemed to notice much from it. So he, you know, I might've been doing six sets there just for rear delts or some of these other things that like, I wouldn't specifically go out of my way to train. Um, so net volume throughout the week was high, but definitely not, not anything like what you're doing. Yeah. Like I've, and like, again, this is just like auto-regulated for me. So like every month is going to be a little bit different. And I do notice that I, I have less volume in a cut, but it's not intentional. It's just what happens. Yeah, exactly. Like it's, it's, it drops by like, uh, maybe 20 to 30%. Um, but it's not, yeah, it's not intentional. And then when I'm, when I'm in a surplus, like, um, like I just feel like I have more energy and then recovery is better, et cetera. And so, and so I just end up having more volume just sort of, uh, naturally. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought this was great because I, I don't think we've ever actually touched on your training specifically this much. Um, is there anything else that jumps out to you that like, I don't know, any, any secrets of the Jeffrey Verdi Schofield training. I think we covered it pretty well. Um, definitely, definitely not secrets. Um, it's just um, like a lot of auto regulation, a lot of finding the movements that work for me. Um, and then this past three months has been a little bit different, just because I've been working around injury, and so I haven't been able to squat or deadlift heavy at all, really. Um, like I've I've retweaked my QL like six or seven times. Mm. Like doing, I've tweaked it on leg press. I've tweaked it on unilateral leg press. I've tweaked it on back squats. I've tweaked it on sumo deadlift. I've wow. tweaked it on deficit deadlift. I've, uh, I've tweaked it on, uh, pretty much everything. And so like the training has been different the past three months. I've managed to keep most of my leg size, I think. Um, but, um, yeah, I guess there's nothing really special to the system. Um, and if anyone's listening to this, like you have to find your own system, it might be, it'll probably be lower volume. I could say that, um, for most people watching this, um, but it, it might be different movements. It might be, you know, a different training split might be different execution, right? Like, you know, you mentioned Steve Hall, like he's clearly getting, you know, really good progression. And so, you know, what he's doing is working for him. And I've actually incorporated a lot of, of, the stuff that he's included um, with like the form resets and, you know, like he talked about resetting his form on RDLs, his form already looked fantastic. Right. Like, really keeping it in the hamstrings. And he's like, yeah, I don't quite feel it as much. And I'm sitting there thinking like, yeah, they look pretty much perfect to me. Yeah. And my, my Romanian deadlift is like knees drifting forward, erectors coming in. And so, um, you know, I, I've actually learned a lot from, from his methods as well. So, yeah. And there's not as much of a dichotomy with Steve as people think, like even before I like 
trained him trained with him or watched some of his stuff like I'm, you might think like oh it's you know so far from failure and it, it's like pristine form and lightweight and it's really not like steve's a strong guy like you yeah. know some of the the compound movements he does he's strong um and so yeah. the actual reality of what's happening i think it's just because it's a talking point of like oh it's this method versus that method but it, the actual training and the exercise selection everything is really not that different yeah it's probably more similar like i I saw him make a post about the benefits of cheating during rows. Mm, okay, I was I like, yeah, yeah, it was uh, maybe a month or two ago. Okay. And I was like, hmm. yeah, he's like, yeah, you can, you can, you know, overload the eccentric and you can maybe move a little bit more weight to the top, that kind of thing. And I'm like, maybe, like, there's probably more similarities than differences, I would say. And, you know, often like systems that seem totally different, like it's still working hard. It's still lifting weights. It's still like a lot of the same movements. Yep. It might just be like, I don't know, 20% difference or 30% at right. most. Um, so I would say there's probably more similarities and more overlap um, than a lot of people think. Cause often, yeah, people see just the differences, but there's like, yeah, there's definitely a lot of similarities too. For sure. All right, man. Well, if people want more of the GBS secret sauce. Where can they find your work? Uh, YouTube would probably be the best place. It's just my name, also on Instagram, also my name. And yeah. Awesome, man. Thanks, God.